listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, I invite you to head on over to Facebook, and there you'll find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group, and you'll be able to share your own thoughts and insights with others who are listening and following along. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 285. We are reading from Volume 4, Book 7. Chapter 5, paragraphs 58 to 65. Chapter 5, the coming of the Holy Ghost upon the apostles and the other faithful. The most blessed Mary sees him intuitively. Other most hidden mysteries which happened on that occasion. 58, in the company of the great queen of heaven and encouraged by her, the twelve apostles and the rest of the disciples and faithful joyfully waited for the fulfillment of the promise of the Savior that he would send them the Holy Ghost, the Consoler, who should instruct them and administer unto them all that they had heard in the teaching of the Lord. John 14.26 They were so unanimous and united in charity that during all these days none of them had any thought, affection, or inclination contrary to those of the rest. They were of one heart and soul in thought and action. Although the election of St. Matthias had occurred, not the least moment or sign of discord arose among them. All those firstborn children of the church. Yet this was a transaction which is otherwise apt to arouse differences of opinion, and the most excellently disposed, since each one is apt to follow his own insight and does not easily yield to the opinion of others. But into this holy congregation no discord found entrance, because they were united in prayer, in fasting, and in the expectation of the Holy Ghost, who does not seek repose in discordant and unyielding hearts in order that it may be inferred how powerful was this union and charity, not only for the disposing them toward the reception of the Holy Ghost, but for overcoming and dispersing the evil spirits. I will say that the demons, who since the death of the Savior had lain prostrate in hell, felt in themselves a new kind of oppression and terror, resulting from the virtues of those assembled in the Seneca. Although they could not explain it to themselves, they perceived a new terrifying force, emanating from that place, and when they perceived the efforts of the doctrine and example of Christ in the behavior of the disciples, they feared the ruin of their dominion. 59. The Queen of Angels, Most Holy Mary, in the plenitude of her wisdom and grace, knew the time and predestined hour for the sending of the Holy Ghost upon the Apostolic College, when the days of Pentecost were about to be fulfilled, Acts 2.1, which happened fifty days after the resurrection of the Lord our Redeemer, the Most Blessed Mother saw how in heaven the humanity, John 14.26, of the word conferred with the Eternal Father concerning the promised sending of the divine paraclete to the apostles, 
and that the time predetermined by his infinite wisdom for planting the faith and all his gifts in his holy church was at hand. The Lord also referred to the merits acquired by him in the flesh through his most holy life, passion and death, to the mysteries wrought by him for the salvation of the human race, and to the fact that he was the mediator, advocate, and intercessor between the Eternal Father and men, and that among them lived his sweetest mother, in whom the divine persons were so well pleased. He besought his Father also, that besides bringing grace and the invisible gifts, the Holy Ghost appear in the world in visible form, that so the evangelical law might be honored before all the world, that the apostles and faithful who were to spread the divine truth might be encouraged, and that the enemies of the Lord, who had in this life persecuted and despised him unto the death of the cross, might be filled with terror. 60. The petition of our Redeemer in heaven was supported on earth by Most Holy Mary in a manner befitting the merciful mother of the faithful. Prostrate upon the earth in the form of a cross and in profoundest humility, she saw how in the consistory of the Blessed Trinity the request of the Savior was favorably accepted, and how to fulfill and execute it, the persons of the Father and the Son, and as the principle from which the Holy Ghost proceeded, decreed the active mission of the Holy Spirit. For to these two is attributed the sending of the third person, because he proceeds from both. And the third person passively took upon himself this mission and consecrated to come into the world. Although all the three divine persons and their operations spring from the same infinite and eternal will without any inequality, yet the same powers which in all the persons are indivisible and equal have certain operations ad intra in each person which are not in the others, and thus the understanding engenders in the Father, not in the Son, who is engendered, and the will breathes forth in the Father and the Son and in the Holy Ghost, who is breathed forth on account of this reason, the Father and the Son, as the active principle, are said to send the Holy Spirit ad extra, while to the latter is attributed the being sent as if in a passive manner. 61. On Pentecost morning, the Blessed Virgin Mary exhorted the apostles, the disciples, and the pious women, numbering about 120, to pray more fervently, and renew their hopes, since the hour was at hand in which they were to be visited by the Divine Spirit from on high. At the third hour, nine o'clock, when all of them were gathered around their heavenly mistress and engaged in fervent prayer, the air resounded with a tremendous thunder and the blowing of a violent wind mixed with the brightness of fire or lightning, all centering upon the house of the Seneca. The house was enveloped in light and the divine fire was poured out over all of that holy gathering. Acts 2.2 over the head of each of the hundred and twenty persons appeared a tongue of the same fire, in which the Holy Ghost had come, filling each one with the divine influences and heavenly gifts, and causing at one and the same time the most diverse and contrary effects of the cenacle, and in the whole of Jerusalem, according to the diversity of the persons affected. 62. In the Most Holy Mary, these effects were altogether divine and most wonderful in the sight of all the heavenly courtiers. For as regard us men, we are incapable of understanding and explaining them. The purest lady was transformed and exalted in God, for she saw intuitively and clearly the Holy Ghost, and for a short time enjoyed the beatific vision of the divinity. Of his gifts and divine influences, she by herself received more than all the rest of the saints. Her glory for that of space and time exceeded that of the angels and of the blessed. She alone gave to the Lord more glory, praise, and thanksgiving than all the universe for the benefit of the descent of the Holy Spirit 
upon his church, and for his having pledged himself so many times to send him through him to govern it to the end of the world. The Blessed Trinity was so pleased with the conduct of Mary on this occasion that it considered itself fully repaid and compensated for having created the world, and not only compensated, but God acted as if he were under a certain obligation for possessing such a peerless creature, whom the Father could look upon as his daughter, the Son as his mother, and the Holy Ghost as his spouse, and whom, according to our way of thinking, he was now obliged to visit and enrich after having conferred upon him such high dignity. In this exalted and blessed spouse were renewed all the gifts and graces of the Holy Spirit, creating new effects and operations, altogether beyond our capacity to understand. 63. The apostles, as St. Luke says, Acts 2.2, 2, were also replenished and filled with the Holy Ghost, for they received a wonderful increase of justifying grace of a most exalted degree. The twelfth apostles were confirmed in the sanctifying grace and were never to lose it. And all of them, according to each one's condition, were infused the habits of the seven gifts, wisdom, understanding, science, piety, counsel, fortitude, and fear. In this magnificent blessing, as new as it was admirable in the world, the twelve apostles were created fit ministers of the New Testament and founders of the evangelical church for the whole world. For this new grace and blessing communicated to them a divine strength, most efficacious and sweet, which inclined them to practice the most heroic virtue and the highest sanctity. Thus strengthened, they prayed, they labored willingly, and accomplished the most difficult and arduous tasks, engaging in their labors not with sorrow or from necessity, but with the greatest joy and alacrity. 64. And all the rest of the disciples and the faithful who received the Holy Ghost in the Cenacle, the Most High, wrought proportionally and respectively the same effects, except that they were not confirmed to grace like the apostles. According to the disposition of each, the gifts of grace were communicated in greater or less abundance in view of the ministry they were to hold in the Holy Church. The same proportion was maintained in regard to the apostles, yet St. Peter and St. John were more singularly favored on account of the high offices assigned to them, the one to govern the church as its head, and the other to attend upon and serve the Queen and Mistress of Heaven and of Earth, Most Holy Mary. The sacred text of St. Luke says that the Holy Ghost filled the whole house in which this happy congregation was gathered. Acts 2.2 Not only because all of them were filled with the Holy Ghost and His admirable gifts, but because the house itself was filled with wonderful light and splendor. This plentitude of wonders and prodigies overflowed and communicated itself also to others outside of the cenacle. For it caused diverse and various effects of the Holy Spirit among the inhabitants of Jerusalem and its vicinity. All those who with some piety had compassion, our Savior Jesus, in his passion and death, deprecating his most bitter torments and reverencing his sacred person, were interiorly visited with new light and grace, which disposed them afterwards to accept the doctrine of the apostles. Those that were converted by the first sermon of St. Peter were, to a great extent, of the number of those who, by their compassion and sorrow at the death of the Lord, had merited for themselves such a great blessing. Others of the just, who were in Jerusalem outside of the cenacle, also felt great interior consolations, by which they were moved and predisposed by new effects of grace, wrought in each one proportionately by the Holy Ghost. 65. Not less wonderful, although more hidden, were some contrary effects produced on that day by the Holy Ghost in Jerusalem. By the dreadful thunders and the violent commotion of the atmosphere and the lightnings accompanying his advent. 
He disturbed and terrified the enemies of the Lord in that city, each one according to his own malice and perfidy. This chastisement was particularly evident in those who had actively concurred in procuring the death of Christ, and who had signalized themselves in their rabid fury against him. All these fell to the ground on their faces, and remained thus for three hours. Those that had scourged the Lord were suddenly choked in their own blood, which shot forth from their veins in punishment for shedding that of the Master. The audacious servant who had buffeted the Lord not only suddenly died, but was hurled into hell body and soul. Others of the Jews, although they did not die, were chastised with intense pains and abominable sicknesses. These disorders, consequent upon shedding the blood of Christ, descended to their posterity, and even to this day continue to afflict their children with most horrible impurities. This chastisement became notorious in Jerusalem, although the priests and Pharisees diligently sought to cover it up, just as they had tried to conceal the resurrection of the Savior. As these events, however, were not so important, neither the apostles nor the evangelists wrote about them. And in the confusion of the city, the multitude soon forgot them. This concludes our reading today for day number 285. We've been reading from Volume 4, Book 7, Chapter 5, Paragraphs 58 to 65. In today's reading, Maria of Agreda helps us to understand really one of the reasons for the sending of the Holy Spirit, not just because Jesus promised that he would send the Holy Spirit, the paraclete. But we hear that the promised sending of the divine paraclete to the apostles at the predetermined time by his infinite wisdom for planting the faith and all his gifts in his holy church. So the Holy Spirit is going to give gifts to the church. It's going to strengthen the church in these nascent days of its beginning. The Holy Spirit is going to bring about faith. And so there's a great purpose for the Holy Spirit coming and resting upon these apostles. It is the Father and the Son that then sends the Holy Spirit into this upper room. The Holy Spirit comes as tongues of fire, probably hearing wind blowing about in that room. Miraculous things take place in the church. And then we heard this. According to the disposition of each, the gifts of grace were communicated in greater or less abundance in view of the ministry they were to hold in the Holy Church. The same proportion was maintained in regard to the apostles. Yet St. Peter and St. John were more singularly favored on account of the high offices assigned to them, the one to govern the church as its head, the other to attend upon and serve the queen and mistress of heaven and of earth. So each person is going to receive an allotment of grace and gift according to their state in life, according to how God is calling them. But each person will have enough. It's not that this person has been given more and this person was given less, but you'll receive what it is that is required for you. And perhaps today as we talk about the Holy Spirit and the gifts and the graces that each receive, Maybe we pray to renew the gifts of the Holy Spirit in our life. Come, Holy Spirit, powerfully into my life. Renew within me all the gifts that I have received. Help me to cooperate with you. May I be led by you. A simple prayer to the Holy Spirit every day might in fact change the course of our lives. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the Mystical City of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, 
and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.